You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello, yoga teacher. I hear from many of you that you love frameworks for planning your classes that you can adapt and modify and make your own. And today's episode provides exactly that. My guest is yoga teacher, author, and entrepreneur, Nancy Gerstein, who's taught yoga and meditation since 1998. Nancy is a Himalayan Institute certified yoga teacher whose classes embody a self-motivating charge through spiritually strengthening practices. She's the author of three books, including Motivational Yoga, 100 Practices for Strength, Energy, and Transformation, and Guiding Yoga's Light, a go-to reference book for yoga teachers and students. Nancy's also contributed to Yogi Times, Elephant Journal, Yoga Magazine, and Pop Culture. Nancy and I recorded this pre-COVID. That's why you won't hear any references to teaching online or reopening studios or anything like that. However, the principles of planning your classes around a theme don't change whether it's online or in person, pre-COVID or post-COVID. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Nancy Gerstein. And if you have not yet downloaded my 100 yoga class themes PDF download, head over to teachingyoga.net slash join to sign up for my email list and get immediate access to the 100 yoga class themes download. In fact, as long as you're not driving, go ahead and pause this podcast, sign up for the 100 yoga class themes. And then when you get back, we'll jump right into my conversation with Nancy Gerstein. I went to the Himalayan Institute, you know, and they would kind of lay out a class and start this way and then do this and that. But there was really no, no way to teach yoga. There's no way to teach the science and the philosophy. Even the breathing was kind of stiff. So how do you weave it in? And that's kind of where I started writing lesson plans and decided, you know, I got, I want to teach, I want to talk about prana. How do I introduce that term? That's kind of where the book came from really is then I just started working on all these lesson plans. And before you knew it, I had lots of them and I kind of, I pitched a couple of publishers. So I think it's something that's just really needed, especially when you first start. Exactly. And there are more brand new teachers out there, like way more brand new teachers than teachers with experience. Yeah, I've noticed that too. Yeah, I think when you're brand new, you don't know where to start. Exactly. And, and you don't know what to do if you have beginning students and, you know, a seasoned student or somebody with a shoulder issue. Like, how do you do that? Um, and it, it's hard for beginners, for beginning teachers. So did you just learn by doing and then create this based on your experience? Or do you have, do you have like a background in education or anything like that? No, no. I have a background in writing though. I have a background in journalism and marketing and advertising. So I, I spend most of my life being a copywriter and in writing press releases and things like that. That's where the, the writing comes from. But for me, the real key to the lesson is I'm 
I, like most yoga teachers, I'm very excited about yoga. Um, at the same time, you want to introduce the concepts and the philosophy of yoga as something that you can use in your real life, not this pie in the sky concept, you know, and even talking about using the word scriptures, that can scare people off. So how do we take what we do on the mat and use it in, the, in our lives? And that's, we all get that because we understand that, oh gosh, when my shoulders are up here, you know, I am holding tension and I want to let go. But how do you explain this to somebody who's never been on the mat before? So the lessons came out of things that I needed to learn. I needed to remind myself. In fact, I think that's why I decided to become a yoga teacher because I needed that lesson. Exactly. I think that's why most of us become yoga teachers is that mm -hmm. the way I've always thought about it is that teaching yoga becomes this really intense vessel for learning it. Yes. <laughs> you know, like, it's a very good point. Yeah, it is true. It's true. You, you really teach yourself. Exactly. Right. A teacher can kind of guide you along, tell you to bend your back a certain way or move your leg, this and that. But what are you really doing? I mean, what's going on up here? But I, I started with yoga because I had to take a class in college. Not because I, you know, I really wanted to be a yogi or anything because I just had to fulfill a PE requirement. So by taking that class and enjoying it because it was great and an easy A, I, I also realized what the benefits were because I was calmer and I was and more flexible and a little stronger, but I felt mentally, I felt a little different. So that's what brought me back to the mat after college. A lot of beginner teachers, they, they do struggle with creating lesson plans. And I have a Facebook group for yoga teachers. And so there's a lot of discussion on that group. And there's a lot of questions of like, but my teacher training didn't teach me how to sequence. My teacher training didn't teach me how to create a lesson plan. Now, some of that is like different styles, like some styles of yoga have set sequences and that's all you learn, but then you get hired a studio that expects you to come up with lesson plans. What you and I, I think, are talking about is that, well, ultimately your lesson plans are going to come from what's going on in your life, what's going on in the world, what do you need? How can you simplify that and clarify that? I love that you're a copywriter. That makes so much sense. That would translate so directly to creating lesson plans because a lot of copywriting is about what to leave out and a right. lot of lesson planning is what to leave out. Yes, I agree. I agree. Because I think that, or for, here, I'll give you a for instance. This week, uh, for one reason or another, I really wanted to introduce Santosha. Did not want to get involved with the eight limbs or the yamas and niyamas. And, you know, this is part of this. And this is, you know, take, it, take some of that, just the term Santosha, and just leave it at, at that. And then simply explain what it is so people don't get lost in it. And you can use this term and use it for your entire lesson. Because I realized early on when I would talk about the yamas or explain all the niyamas, here they are, see, isn't this interesting? People's eyes would glaze over. I'd oh, be yeah. really excited. But you can't really handle that much. It's, it's not really starting from the beginning. If you want to know about philosophy, you'll learn about it. But most people don't even know that there is this wonderful package of information that can go on and on and on. I love that you said that about Sanskrit because I'm a language person. So I get excited about language. 
but not everybody does. <laughs> and we want to meet our students where they are. And that was mm -hmm. really brought home to me actually at a teacher training I was teaching. There was this one class that they had actually solicited Spanish speakers, native Spanish speakers to t take the class so that they could go out and teach in Spanish, right? But that meant that they were taking this yoga teacher training in their second language. Wow. Okay. But the non-native English speakers, oh my God, they struggled with Sanskrit so much. They got very overwhelmed by it. And we had to be like, you guys, it's, relax. It's okay. There's no test on this. You can learn it at your own pace. And it really, it brought home to me that realization that we need to not overwhelm our regular yoga students either, because these are people who want to become teachers, right? And they were overwhelmed. Yeah, right. I think it's important that if we're going to use Sanskrit, which is great to use, that we define the terms Mm -hmm. and that we use it sparingly, that we use it consciously. I agree. It's interesting because I read an article, it may have been like in, in a yoga journal, this was years ago, and it was about somewhat, some teacher mispronouncing the names of some of these poses. And she didn't know that until somebody who was, you know, this was their native speak, and they said, there's a couple words here you need to work on because you're not pronouncing this right. Mm. And I thought to myself, that is so interesting. She, she, why don't you just say it in English? You know, you don't, obviously it's not, it's not your language. Just use it. You know, I, I believe, I, don't, I really, I rarely use the names of, of the poses in Sanskrit. I mean, you know, I'll say Tadasana and Bhattakanasana and things like that, but I, I usually don't simply because we're working very simply and gently and trying to stay inside, not having somebody's mind all over the place trying to figure out, you know, what's a, what's a konasana? <laughs> what the heck is that? Right. So let's just, let's just keep it simple. And, um, and it's, it's worked. So I just kind of took that off of my plate and said, you know what? I like butterfly. I think that works well. Well, and the thing is about the pose names is that there isn't consensus around them anyway, between the different styles. This is true. Yeah. Whereas when you're talking about yoga philosophy, there, mm -hmm. there are Sanskrit words that don't have an English correlation. Right. And because right. it's something, it's not something concrete, like we can actually just show a pose, <laughs> you know, like we can demonstrate that, but the philosophy is not concrete. And that does make it a challenge to weave it into the classes. Um, but it also makes the Sanskrit a little bit more important sometimes, like with Santosha, like there's not a direct, sometimes we translate it as contentment, but that's not exactly right exactly because it's there's so many different layers to santosha so let's just talk about a couple of those you know today when i was talking about it i was kind of passionate and i actually got questions after class about santosha and how is it spelled so i knew that something something as basic as that really rings true with us humans we all just want to feel contentment how do we do that how do we do that without overwhelming ourselves? So um, using one Sanskrit word at a time is a good step. So let me ask you this. How can yoga teachers take your book, Motivational Yoga, and use it to develop their teaching skills? Jumping off from there, when they're ready to create their own classes, can you give us your system or your advice for the simplest way or the most effective way for them to do that? 
First, let me say that a, a healthy, logical yoga sequence, anything that you're going to teach that, that involves your body is going to involve first simple warm-ups and progressively moves to more challenging postures, right? Or that, that peak pose. And then gradually preparing to kind of settle down and prepare for relaxation. And if you're, if you're lucky enough to have enough time for meditation and pranayama, you can include that as well. But more importantly, any kind of style that you teach, you know, we always practice to ensure that we've selected the right poses, the, the right breathing, and even the right uh, relaxation uh, to impart your intention physically and mentally. And so I would start with intention. <laughs> what is your intention of the class? And as I said earlier, for me this week, it was Santosha. It was something I needed to teach myself or I needed to re remind myself that I'm okay just where I am and what I have is enough. And whatever that takes, whatever kind of acceptance, uh, whatever kind of spirit, whatever kind of uh, backing off or coming towards that means to give myself that kind of space to, to feel better. That's what I needed to learn. And I think other people just want to deal with their huge problems that they've had forever and ever. But I wanted to teach today that just kind of chip away at smaller things. You know, not that big thing that happened to you in childhood, but those little pebbles, not the big boulders. Start with an intention, whatever that is. And it may be your shoulders hurt. Let's talk about that. That's what your intention might be. I defined an intention as really something that you need to learn, and, but also something that creates awareness of that specific yoga experience. That's your dedicated purpose for that hour or hour and a half. And I like how simple your example is, the example of Santosha, because one of the things I see newer yoga teachers doing a lot is overcomplicating their lesson plans and either maybe maybe it's just from inspiration which is great but sometimes actually from a place of feeling pressured to like be spiritual enough and and be capable enough and and be interesting enough but yoga doesn't have to be interesting to be valuable. Like it, we're not, we're not there to entertain our students. That's not, no, right. <laughs> now some people are entertaining naturally, but if that's not you, you don't have to be entertaining to be a yoga exactly. teacher. Exactly. If it comes from the heart, it should, it would be entertaining. That if it comes from the heart. That's your truth. And if people want to hear it, that's wonderful. And they don't always, you know, we don't always resonate with our students and, and vice versa. But when it works, or if they can just pick up a little morsel of it, it's a beautiful thing. It really can change somebody's life. If you hear this thing that you don't have to solve all your problems in one day, that's, a, that's good to know. It's good to know that you can kind of, you can breathe through a problem, depending upon what it is. Yeah. So I, I would start with an intention. What do you want to talk about? And then number two is actually the lesson. And in the book, it's we call it the lesson plan, and it, there's a little script of whatever your concept is or your intention. And then uh, what kind of asana, what body work? What actually speaks to that intention? What is that deepening there? So those are postures that demonstrate the lesson 
through the body stretch, through movement, through sensation. You know, when you hold a pose for a while, and you know, it's stretchy, you can hold it, but after a while, you might start feeling impatient, which is wonderful because then you can notice where impatience sets in. Now, when something hurts, obviously, you wanna back off of it, but where does impatience come in, or judgment? Or does your mind wander? So this is the kind of stuff when we talk about asana for deepening. The, the fourth piece I would offer to people is, how do you take this lesson and live it? How do you live your yoga? I mean, we talk about that. We always like, live your yoga. But what is your, and I call it motivation off the mat. So those are suggestions or even homework assignments, or reminders, topics for discussion, to help students integrate the lesson into their personal journey. How do I feel content even right now as I'm talking to you? How, how does that happen? Or is my mind wandering? You know, part of contentment is being in the present moment. What better way, what better place to practice that than in a yoga class? And then the fifth one is, I have both wise words and teacher tips. So wise words are just, maybe they're, kind of, um, you know, advice or quips, quotes to take with us. How can we use them for the day? And teacher tips along with that is, you know, just remain present, whatever that is, or holding space. Little things that, that will help guide you through this entire hour, an hour and a half. Because it, it takes a lot out of us to do this. And we're basically, we're moving, we're talking, we're, we're sending, uh, you know, our our personal uh, sensation, love, heart center, awareness to everybody in the room. And, you know, we want to stay wise and strong, but we want to deliver and we want to believe what we're saying too. So we want to live it as well. So those are the, the five things, intention and the lesson, the asana, living your yoga or motivation off the mat and your wise words. How do you take it with you? I have a chapter of workshops which is really the longest chapter because I have five workshops in there. And some of these workshops are like two or three hours, lots of photos, but putting a workshop together is like that next huge step from taking something that you're really passionate about and wanting to really dive into it and learn more about it. And then you can find the people who are also, that also resonates with. So in the book, I have the complete workshop script and workshop wisdom, what kinds of things you want to impart. Lots of pranayama and meditations as well in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I actually have an online course about planning, promoting, and presenting yoga workshops. Fantastic. That's great. These are workshops I, I, I like to say I have in the can, but when we change, our workshops change and our classes change. So I just, I kind of made it, you know, one of the things I always want to talk about and one of the things that are important about uh, you know, you're teaching meditation, so make sure that you you take these concepts and, and work them in. The truth is that it's probably not wise for yoga teachers to take these lessons and not integrate them before teaching them, right? Oh, you get this book, yes. you see a sequence, yes. you, you got to 
practice it yourself <laughs> and contemplate it, it's got to feel like it comes from you, which is why it's so great that there's a hundred, right? Because it means you can go through and you can be like, no, 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 no. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. That one. I'm going to practice that. Right. And it's one of those things like, okay, well now I can, I can teach this, you know, this anxiety breath because I've had an anxiety attack. Whereas before, and I talk about this in the book, I, I used to teach, um, you know, what to do with panic attacks. How, what are the tools for that? And if you've never had an anxiety attack, it doesn't, it's not as meaningful. Let's just face it. It's not. Once you've had one, and I talk about it, and once I was blessed with, an, with a panic attack, um, you realize what does work. And you can teach, that's, that's really teaching truth because otherwise it kind of feels like you're just teaching, you know, from a book. It's so great to have all these examples, but you have to digest them and integrate them. And then ultimately you want to change them a bit to reflect your personality and your focus and your intention. Exactly. Exactly. If you want to put in a couple jokes or you want to talk about something that happened to you or a friend this weekend, bring it in. People want, they want to hear about stories. So tell me from your perspective, what's the big difference between a class and a workshop? Oh, that's a good question because it took me a couple of years to get a workshop together. And that's because I had to find out what I was really interested in. So the biggest difference is a workshop is usually longer and you focus on one thing. So it's a great way to really go in depth to the thing that it kind of excites you, right? So the big difference is discovering, researching, writing about what it is that you are passionate about and then delivering it to your group of people and finding out what your students really want is key though. Definitely. Yeah. There, I think it's a combination of finding where your interests intersect with the needs and interests of your students and also knowing how to talk about <laughs> what you're interested in, in a way that's relevant to them. Right. So you might have this really cherished thing. I'll just go back to, let's just say, the Niyamas, which is kind of a big concept. But you may have a, a group of people that you teach and they want to know more about that. It gives you a platform as a teacher to learn more about it and, and look at different things that are happening in your life or have happened and um, just work on your most cherished yoga theme and get really good at it. And it just helps you develop as a teacher because it's so much different than teaching a class. You can, you can start with meditation. You can, uh, you know, you can end with a sun salutation. It, it doesn't have to work the same way. So you, I think you have a, a little bit more play, if you will. More room for creativity? I think so. Yeah, there's a lot of room for creativity. So from the one end of the spectrum of kind of the more passionate students where you teach workshops, you also have advice for teaching beginners. You want to talk about that? Beginning students come into class and they, most people just want stress relief. I mean, I'm just going to blanket and say stress relief. Maybe it's some exercise. Maybe it's you know, something they've heard about or their doctor told them to go to yoga because we hear yoga is good for stress and stretching. So I like to tell I like to tell beginning students that it's something that wasn't developed 10 years ago. So a lot of people think it's kind of new, but it, it's a that it's a complete exercise system that is developed 5,000 years ago. 
So it's a holistic path and it's got a lot of different facets to it. So I think that's important for people to know that it's so much more than your downward facing dog or your tree. I always teach breath awareness, whether you're new or you've been practicing forever, but to let people know that never underestimate breath awareness while practicing and, and, um, and also while teaching yoga as well. Catch your breath if you need to. Remind people that breath is the link between body and mind and, and um, to demonstrate that through, through the poses. And, and they learn it. Eventually they learn it. So we practice it all the time. And mindful breathing really does make the difference between achieving the holistic effects of asana and a glorified exercise class. You know, it's just different because exercise class, we want our minds to maybe wander or get into the music. We're not really inside. I also talk about how the practice is individualistic and systematic too. You know, what is the sensation? Uh, what is forcing? What isn't forcing? We lose our way all day long because it feels like everybody is forcing something, you know, forcing something to work faster or different. You're talking about awareness and embodiment. Right. Breath and body awareness is key. I mean, that's the thing that you should learn, right? When you're a very beginning yoga student. But it's not something that we ever give up either. We don't want to give up learning that as well. Um, but that kind of balance requires inner listening. And that's a huge concept if you've never done that before. Like, what does this inner world mean? And just as every day is new, every experience on that yoga mat is different. I mean, you can do a downward dog 20 times, and every time you do it, you focus on a different toe, you're going to have 10 different experiences. So this, this thing that we call being a, the observer, that's a, I think that's a little maybe further out when you start observing your thoughts. But if you're noticing that you are thinking about the grocery store, and everybody snickers when I say that, because I guess they're all thinking about the grocery store, I don't know. But it, it's tells me that their mind went somewhere else. So I, I think the best way to do that is just make them aware over and over again. So let me, let me ask you this. As longtime yoga practitioners, we know that the benefits of yoga really come through consistent practice over a long period of time. But that's a very hard sell to beginners. Right, right. So what do you say to beginners to encourage them and to inspire them to begin this journey, to commit to this journey, which is so very long and worthwhile, but long? <laughs> it is long. It, it really is. One thing I do tell people is that when you practice, when you, when you feel better inside the body, feel better inside the mind, and your mind is clear and you do see possibilities in life, it makes you a better person. It makes you a happier person. It makes you better to be around. It makes you more productive, more motivated, more in love with life. So that's the practice, right? Yes. How long does it take? And believe it or not, I was asked that. How long does that take? <laughs> that was the hardest question I've ever had, I think. How long does it take? Because uh, you don't want to say forever and scare somebody off. Um, but it, it changes from day to day. So what, what I do, uh, to go back to your question, though, is I, I actually wanted to kind of figure out what is this yoga that, that is 
work so well for me and, and for others. And I realized that it is the intention and the will that we put into the physical practice and the whatever else we do, hopefully meditation and breathing every day. You can bring about these important and, and personal life changes that, that allow you to have this contented life. Having them endure is the core of what I teach. That's the core of motivational yoga. It's not just feeling good for this hour, but learning how to know that there are some things that are within your control and how do you do this. That, that's what I use on a day-to-day -day basis, but it is, I call it yoga fuel for your life. So if that's what you, that's what you need to carry out the rest of your day in, in, a, in a loving and compassionate and, and courageous way, uh, do what you need to do. There are many different kinds of yoga practices. There's many different kinds of Hatha yoga classes. But if you can find something that resonates for you, whether it's a breathing exercise and, and uh, a physical practice, and it makes you feel better. And when I say that, I, I mean like on, on all those levels. Keep using it because our responsibility uh, is to remain present and clear and, and confident for others so you, we can motivate and teach them and inspire them to live the best life they can. That's really about it. <laughs> so when we're talking about beginners, would you say though that we focus a little bit more on the more immediate benefits with beginners versus talking too much about <laughs> the long road? Yes. When I'm with beginners, I usually teach stretching, your basic stretching and how the inhale and exhale can relates to that and, and how it can improve our stretching and improve our uh, our body and our mind connection, which is a little difficult because if you're thinking about something else or you're putting too much effort into something, you can actually hurt yourself. So using real life stories, but also what the breath does in terms of bringing down blood pressure and heart rate and fight or flight is a huge one, of course. Uh, but yeah, I, I stick to breath and body awareness and, and people understand that they also understand relaxation. Mm -hmm. And it's huge but, breath and body awareness. I mean, it's, oh, it's, it's, it's something that's missing from our culture because we're never in our bodies. We're, you know, mostly we're looking at a computer screen and we're like in a completely not other world. <laughs> right, right. Or, or thinking about things that you want or things that will make you happy or things that you don't want rather than sitting inside. And then when you finally do get up from your chair, guess what happens? Your body hurts because you haven't been thinking about it. You're stuck, you know, if, especially if your shoulders are up. Um, I used to sit in lotus pose, you know, while I typed. You try doing that for two hours. Oh, my hips you will know. not. Oh, no. <laughs> and, and I don't do that anymore. <laughs> but I do sit on my feet, <laughs> which is not the best, you know, like in a hero's pose, which is not the best pose. But yeah, Eventually I like I to change positions as much as possible. And now I have this, this Fitbit, which reminds me to get up and walk 250 steps every hour because oh I get really into my creative work and I will just, I will get sucked in and I will be going, going, going. And I can't tell you like 50 minutes will fly by. Like I can't even believe it. I'm like, didn't that just happen? Right, right. But it's so good because then I get up and I walk my my 250 steps, and I think that's amazing. Oh, that's that's fantastic that you do that. As long as you can get back to your creative work. Oh yeah, 
there's there's no there's no there's no problem with that. My problem is stopping. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I have the same problem. <laughs> I know. It's like, I'm going, I'm going. I don't want to stop right now. I know. And I have, you know, so I've, I've children. I have a four-year-old and a 17-year-old. The 17-year-old doesn't need me too much. I mean, sometimes she needs me more, but you know what I'm saying. But when the, when the four-year-old gets home from school, there's this real inner struggle with me because part of me is like, I, I don't want to stop my creative work. I know. And yeah. the other part is like, nope, now it's time to turn on mom. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've struggled with that myself, which oh I'll just bring my phone in while we play together on the floor here. No, that's a bad idea. I might as well just go into my office and do it. But it is it that's part of practicing the now. So let me ask you this. I can't remember if we discussed this or not. Usually I ask authors if they want to do a giveaway. Did we talk about this at all? No, but I'm happy to do that. If you want to win a copy of Motivational Yoga, if you'd like, like to have a hundred examples of what Nancy talked about today, then if you're not yet a member, you'll want to join the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group and find the post that is announcing this giveaway and comment one thing that you learned in this episode. Nancy, before we wrap up, is there anything else that you would really like to share with yoga teachers? Yes, to remember that your greatest value is the effect that you have on others. When you can teach from the heart, you can really make a difference in the world. Well, thank you so much for sharing some of your thought process behind motivational yoga. Sure thing. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Nancy and got a few nuggets or ideas for planning your own classes. If you love resources for class planning, I want to throw out one more pitch for downloading that PDF I mentioned earlier of 100 yoga class themes. And you'll also want to check out episode 91 about how to sequence a 20 minute demo class and episodes 34 and 35 all about class planning. After you listen to those, if you have any follow-up questions, you can always post them in the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group. And you can join both my email list to get the 100 yoga class themes and also the Facebook group by going to teachingyoga.net slash join. As always, I want to close out this episode by inviting you to check in about what kind of self-care you need today and what kind of little chunk of peace and pause you could carve out for yourself. I try to remind you every single episode just because I need to hear it over and over and over. I need those reminders myself. So when I talk about self-care to you, it's a reminder for me as well. So thank you for being part of my own self-care strategy. Thank you for listening and I'll see you again next week. Same time, same place.